Well, hello, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new podcast. I would like to say welcome to all you listeners out there. My name is Chad Michael Bouton, and this is Hindsight is 2200. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that this will be worth your time. Of course, this is a podcast for the visually impaired by a visually impaired. And basically, Hindsight is 2200 is trying to examine the visually impaired world, talking to the experts, the engineers, perhaps developing a new state-of-the-art technology, and of course, visually impaired people themselves to better understand the world around us and make it a better blind world for everybody. And to do that, I would like to spend my very first episode with a special guest, someone I know very good and um, who has helped me definitely in my life become a better independent and confident um, legally blind person. And that is Lori Hagel. She is a orientation and mobility teacher. And today she and I are going to talk all things white tip cane. So please give a round of applause for the great and powerful Lori Hagel. Wow. Well, thank you for that introduction, Chad. <laughs> I, I, I want to make it a goal to like give everybody like the red carpet moment, you know, like yeah, make them feel yeah. like they're a superstar because you guys are superstars. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it at the time, but thank you for those kind words. Well, you are definitely a superstar to me. Um, you definitely helped me and my sister, so many other people. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. So I think the best place to start off is um, to just introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell us who is Lori Hagel. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Well, Chad, of course, I am, as you mentioned, an orientation mobility specialist. And it's funny because I've been doing this for about 37 years. I did the math and, and it never really gets easier when people ask me, what do you do? I'm sometimes tempted to just give them the easy answer and say, well, I'm a teacher and leave mm -hmm. it at that. But I do want to educate people. I do appreciate you giving me a chance and, and um, putting the word out there on what an orientation mobility specialist is and that it is a real job. Mm -hmm. It is, um, to, you know, college training to do so. And so basically what I try to explain to people, I do want people to know is um, it's kind of like a physical therapist for visually impaired people. It's learning all things from learning how to use the, like you said, the white cane to feel the ground, to travel, to cross streets for adults, for children. It's maybe just navigating around their school. The orientation part of course is knowing where you are and where you wanna go. And if you're blind or visually impaired that has some challenges. And then the mobility part is just using a cane or using the tools that you have to get there safely. So it looks like a lot of different things I work mm -hmm. from. In the school system, I work from, um, you know, with three-year-olds up to 21-year-olds and from totally blind to people that have a lot of vision, people with additional disabilities. So it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Every student I've worked with is different and has unique needs, and I try to figure out what I can do to best help them be as, you know, travel safe and move about and be as independent as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe, you know, there are a lot of mis misconceptions with um, this field, and definitely we're going to try and break them down as much as we can in this episode. Um, but something that I definitely want to touch on because I didn't know this and you informed me during our talks off air uh, about the background behind orientation and mobility because, you know, it's funny to think, you know, um, it has a background, but I think sometimes we forget everything and anything has a beginning and so does orientation and mobility and it has quite a pretty interesting beginning if you wouldn't mind sharing with us. Yes, it really does. It's actually a very new profession, if that can be said, which is so ironic because there are 
tales and stories of visually impaired people and blind people since the beginning of people, you know, and back in the first century and, you know, recorded of Jesus healing the blind woman. So we know that blindness has been out there, but the no one's really come up with a, a way, a systematic way to teach them how to move about independently until, well, the cane wasn't a thing until the 1940s when um, blinded veterans came back from uh, World War II and they were going, I think, to Valley Forge, the VA hospital. And I am assuming there was maybe a lot of them. Maybe they didn't have good eye protection back in the, in the Second World War. And so there were a lot of able-bodied guys that were just blind and very frustrated. The pr biggest problem they had is they just couldn't go up and down stairs. They couldn't you know, move about their home safely. And they were probably very frustrated on this um, loss of independence. And so there were several men, but Richard Hoover was one of them. I think he was an optometrist or ophthalmologist and maybe being a doctor, he said, well, you know what, this little support cane that people have been using, you know, I think a lot of blind people are using like the support cane your grandpa uses that's really mm -hmm. short and heavy. He said, hey, let's make this longer and thinner and, um, you know, move it in a, in a systematic way in front of them to detect objects and stairs. And hey, here's a way we can use it to go up and down stairs um, and, and things like that. And these uh, skills were taught at the VA hospitals for numerous years until the 1960s, and it wasn't until the 1960s they decided, hey, we need a training program to train people to do this safely so they can go out and work with other people. And, um, and it wasn't even until the 1980s that people like yourself, like students in the school, that they started saying, hey, these techniques help children. Let's start when they're young and teach them how to use a cane, how to move about. Um, and so that, and I went to school in the early 80s, and my one of my professors who has since passed away in 2005 was Purvis Ponder. And he actually wrote one of the textbooks I think they still use called uh, Orientation Mobility Techniques. And it's sort of the, our little Bible that gives a step-by-step -step guide on how these techniques are done and you know, uh, in a systematic way. And so I feel like I'm kind of in on the beginning of it in some respects of, uh, of the field. So it's, it's kind of interesting. And, and like I said, it's kind of hard to believe that no one really thought about this earlier because it's not you know, doesn't involve technology, you know, it's pretty low tech uh, techniques. Yeah, definitely. And then when you think of, you know, blind people and their rights, um, we haven't had our rights from the ADA for that long either. I mean, it's kind That's of, true. you know, very close to about this time the cane started being used in orientation and mobility. So it's kind of funny to think, you know, this is all kind of, you know, very much dating yeah, around yes. the same time. Well, yeah. In fact, the one law that we always talk about when I was in school was, you know, Pill 94142, the public law um, for education for all handicapped children in 1975 yeah. that said all children have the rights for a free and appropriate education. I don't think that was passed until the 1970s, which is hard to believe until then, you know, um, children didn't receive the special services they need. So that's in, in every case. So that's kind of, it is kind of a new, um, you know, a current um, issue, like you're saying. Yeah, and you mentioned the formal background, but um, I'd love to get a little bit more of a understanding of that because this isn't something that you can just say one day, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to start training visually impaired people to use the cane. This is something you really have to have a formal background in. Right, yes. Um, well, when the training program started in the 60s, um, I believe there weren't that many schools, you know, that started. I think it was uh, Boston College, maybe Western Michigan. They started programs, and I'm not sure what theirs were. Mine at Florida State came along somewhere, maybe the third or fourth school that started this in the probably in the 60s or 70s. 
And mine, I actually do have a bachelor's degree. I'm probably a unicorn though. I don't think there's many bachelor degree programs. Most of the programs are you will have a four-year degree in education or something else, and then you'll get a master's degree in orientation mobility. And, um, and usually it's dual, you know, there's, I was surprised to find out there are about 19 states that have programs and I don't know all the details of them, but they're usually master's programs and it might be combined with the teacher of the visually impaired. So you'll be certified to be teaching the classroom to teach braille or special skills academically, as well as, um, you know, learn the techniques for being an orientation mobility specialist. So there are dual degrees, um, you usually have to do an internship. Um, a lot of the training involves like minded, um, which makes sense is that I spent quite a few hours under the blindfold myself learning how to use those cane techniques. Now, in no way does it make me say, oh, I know what it feels like to be a blind or visually impaired person, but I got to get that um, experience of, oh, what it feels like to cross the street when, you, um, when you're using your ears only. So um, in my final exam was I was dropped off in Tallahassee at a, a place I didn't know where I was. I was under the blindfold and I had to meet my instructor at another location. It was a drop-off lesson, which was pretty <laughs> intense, but I passed, I made it, I'm still here. So, um, so that's a little bit, it does take, you can't just say, oh, I wanna do this. It's sort of like OTs and PTs where you have to mm -hmm. um, you know, have certification and, and qualifications. Cause you, it would be unsafe to just say, hey, let me teach this blind child how to go up and down these stairs if you don't have the training. So, yeah, exactly. so it does take a college degree. It's going to be scary, though, from a sighted person's perspective to just be, all right, here's your final exam. I'm going to drop you <laughs> off in this undisclosed location, and you got to find me. But um, yes. added bonus, you can't see. Yes. Well, you know what? It's It wasn't that way because we worked in those training areas, just like uh -huh. when you had training. And, and we knew, like I studied, like which streets were one way going east and one way going west. And so we thought we knew that area pretty well. You know, we had been practicing there. So so it wasn't just like dropping me off somewhere I've never been. So there was that advantage. So, yes, it's it's, it's it sounds pretty interesting. But I mean, um, most guide dog trainers kind of do the same thing. You know, the final exam for a guide dog is for them to put the blindfold on and then yes. walk with the dog and make sure the dog yes. can work with someone who's completely blind and do it safely. Yes. So it makes a lot of sense to do that. Yes. Yes. Of course. So tell me exactly how this came about because when we were talking off air this is something that you knew you wanted to do how exactly um did you know you wanted to do it um do this as a career you know be an orientation mobility teacher well yeah i'm probably one of the few that discovered this while i was still in high school and um you know as i explained to you um i was born extremely nearsighted like off the charts like um my lenses my my glasses were a minus 16 that might not mean anything to you but they're extremely thick i got glasses when i was three but back in the day you know they didn't really have an accurate way to correct my vision and i probably was technically functioning as a visually impaired child probably for my first 10 years of life it wasn't until i was 10 that i had a really progressive doctor i mean contact lenses were barely invented in 1973 and so he put a pair of contacts in my eyes and, and not having those thick lenses, you know, with the contacts, everything was actual size. And mm -hmm. uh, I had peripheral vision because when a lens is that thick, if you're not looking right through the center, it's like a fishbowl, like everything to the side is blurry. And um, I was just amazed. I remember sitting in that office, looking at door frames and how I felt like Alice in Wonderland, everything looked so big. My mom's head looked big. <laughs> like, no wonder I couldn't catch a ball or do sports because, you know, nothing, I, I didn't see well. So that probably changed my life. And I, I think I considered being an eye doctor, but 
I feel like I didn't want to go to that much school and take that much science and math. And so when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to do like a work study where I got to go into an elementary school where there was a little um, blind, uh, visually impaired um, five-year-old and I got to teach him and work with him. And I thought, oh, I love this. And then when I explored Florida State and there, because that was one of the few schools in the Southeast that had a teacher or the visually impaired program, when I found out there's this other specialty where I could go out in the community, go to the mall and take kids, you know, shopping or to the grocery store. I thought, okay, there's nothing more perfect than that. That's awesome. You know, to be able to work on um, not just academics, but the real life skills, because you can teach someone how to read and write, but if they can't get mm -hmm. up and find the door or get to work, you know, they're not very employable. So orientation mobility is very important because it does teach those skills to just function in everyday life. Well, that's, that's awesome. I love to hear that, you know, kind of sounds like, you know, you use something that at the time, you know, was a really unfortunate situation for you, but it helped in a way mold you into the profession that you've yes. been doing for pretty much your entire life. Yes. And you know what? It's still in the back of my mind as I'm getting older that um, because of my eyes and being so myopic, I'm at higher risk for retinal detachments, glaucoma, cataracts, you name it. So I'm very, I feel very fortunate that my vision's been very stable, but I'm also aware that, you know, I could be using these techniques one day. You know, I honestly, I, I'm aware I live close walking distance to a grocery store right now. And I'm very mindful of that. I tell my husband all the time. It's like, look, I'm going to be able to get there one way or the other, you know, <laughs> unless my knees give out or something, but you know, I'm, um, you know, my, I'm just grateful that I do have good vision now, but I, you know, prepared for the future. You hear that? If you ever yes. know Lori Hagel in your neighborhood, um, she'll get your groceries. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, talk to me about some of the um, main responsibilities, because you know, there's, there's a lot. But if you, say, had someone create a job description for you, what would you say were like maybe like the big three in terms of your responsibilities as an L&M instructor? Wow. Well, that depends on you know for the last 20 some years i've been a private contractor with a school system but mm -hmm. i would say you could be employed by a school for the blind or you could be employed mm -hmm. working with adults in a rehab setting so the the job would look different okay for me me working with um school-age children um specifically for that setting it, it's you know we work with children from three to 21 from mm -hmm totally blind to very visual children from children with multiple disabilities to children in the gifted program. So like I said, it's, it's not one size fits all. So there really mm -hmm. isn't, uh, I guess it's finding out if they need my assistance. And, and right. the big thing I look for is they're, if they're having trouble um, detecting steps, like if their vision has gotten to the point where they're tripping over things and struggling, that would be a big uh, sign that I would, you know, they might benefit from my help. But um, even with children who don't necessarily need to use a cane, there's those orientation concepts. Some just need to know, you know, develop mental mapping or to use a tactual map to figure out where they are and teach um, for young children will be teaching body and spatial concepts because young children have a harder time when someone says, put that up or put that under your chair. They have to physically be taught where those places are. They don't, mm -hmm. don't have the advantage of having vision to learn all those things. And like I was mentioning to you, I've had high school kids who might not even really know where their ankle is because nobody taught them that. <laughs> so, so there's, um, so my list would be teaching. You know, it, it's 
it's very varied, but it would be depend on the age, you know, with young children, mm -hmm. I'd be working on songs and body parts and head and shoulders and knees and toes, older children, I would make sure that they can, um, especially before they graduate, that they have some experience out in the community, uh, asking for assistance and, um, oh, also instructing a sighted guide. And I know we'll touch on that too, but walking, teaching them how to instruct a sighted person to help them or to not help them say, no, thank you. I don't need your help. So advocating for themselves would be one of the big things that I like to teach, no matter what age they are, is mm -hmm. try to explain to other people how to help them or how to leave them alone, of course, when they don't yeah. need help. I can definitely so. see how self-advocacy would definitely be a major part of the curriculum. Um, yes. But um, I'd like to talk to you about exactly how do you evaluate your students? Because you keep mentioning it's not one shoe fits all. So it's definitely, it's case by case identifying what each student needs. So how would you be placed with a new student? I mean, exactly how many students do you say an O&M instructor can have at one time? And, you know, maybe we can start getting into exactly how you would start coaching someone to begin learning to use the cane. Okay, well, the caseload obviously varies, but every student that comes into our, our program, um, by at least by the state of Florida, has to be evaluated, has a whole functional vision evaluation and a learning media assessment. That just means we assess how well they're using their vision in the classroom, um, how, what, you know, are they a braille reader? Are they a print reader, mm -hmm. auditory learner? So there's a whole big thing that mostly the vision teacher does most of it, but I have mm -hmm. to do the orientation mobility screening part. And I usually will take a student and I will try to take them in an unfamiliar area, depending, I mean, if they're young, obviously I just assess what they're doing in the classroom, but I look and see, you know, are they, are they going to lose their vision? That's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Like if they are going to have a degenerative condition, then I might be a little more uh, thinking, well, you know what, maybe they can start cane training just to help them learn that sense of touch to help not just treat them like they're blind, but that cane is just another tool to help them uh, give them more information about their environment, use their vision to see the big objects, use their cane to find the stairs. So, you know, I look at the child and, and if that would be helpful and decide, you know, and also a lot of times we've talked on if whether the parents are acceptable to that because it's certainly mm -hmm. a big issue to, for a parent to accept. Oh, okay, you're going to put a cane in my three-year-old's hand. Sometimes that's the biggest obstacle I encounter. Right. They might not be very open to that. So there's a lot of factors that go involved, but you know, into determining the, whether they can benefit. Um, but like I said, the main thing is is are they safe in the school environment? Mm -hmm. And as they get older, then it's will they be safe? They're going to be traveling post high school. I have to consider if they're not getting driver's license, you know, they do need some techniques for uh, post high school. So mostly mm -hmm. a lot of the techniques I wouldn't really start till middle school or high school. But um, right. but so I don't know. I hope that explains most of those. No, no, that issues. was that was that was yeah. great. Um, definitely the itinerant yeah. life of visually impaired people is definitely something that should be considered because I feel a lot of people have a misconception of blind people just sit around and do nothing, but um, right. very untrue. We like to go out on walks and go to the malls and do everything right. on our own. So um, learning right. how to do that, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, is taught through O&M. Right, correct. Yep. So how exactly do you start training? Um, is it, you know, starting with spatial awareness and then maybe testing them in an environment that they're comfortable with and then just seeing, like you mentioned, are they dragging their feet? 
Are they stopping because they think that they might fall or bump into something? What is your process when it comes to new students in that way? Well, if it is a young child, I do spend a lot of time, like I said, using songs and play mm -hmm. to just learn about um, their their own, where their shoulder is, you know, what's in front, what's behind, left and right. Um, and I want them to be familiar. The first place, obviously, is in their classroom. And most students don't need a cane in their classroom. That should be a safe place. They should be able to put their hands out mm -hmm. and navigate around and learn what's along the walls, where the cubby is. You know, so mm -hmm. I would start with their classroom and then we'll branch out to as they get a little older, maybe first, second grade. Hey, let's go find the the. Um, you know, the cafeteria and things by yourself. And that's when I would be working on this cane techniques to show them, hey, look, this when it hits something, you go around it. Oh, look, you found the, the floor is bumpy there. And so just working on using a cane to, to be an extension of their hand to help them mm -hmm. find um, their way around that way. Um, also teaching them sighted guide because there's times when they go out in the playground and teaching their teachers and the people around them that sometimes that's okay. That's not saying they're not being independent. If you're going a long way or on a field trip, the safest way would be for them to hold on. Sighted guide is where they would hold on to either a classmate. And usually if it's young children, you want them to hold on to an adult's mm -hmm. wrist to uh, guide them safely in those situations where you may be going over a, you know, a longer distance. Um, so, and then as they get in middle school or high school, that's when sighted children are more independent and starting to roam around their neighborhood. We would do residential travel. We would do, right. uh, what do you do at a stop sign? Well, you know what, when that car stops, since you can't see whether they see you, we teach a car, them how to wave a car on, you know, and say, get that car on your way so you can cross. And a lot of my students don't know what that gesture is because they think wave, I'm going to wave hello to the car. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, you move your hand to say, you know, move on car and get out of my way. And so just teaching those type of skills um, and just what environmental concepts are. A lot of children yeah. don't even know what a driveway is or don't even, what is this thing? Oh, it's a mailbox. What's a mailbox? And so <laughs> I do a lot of explaining what just, um, you know, things that you take for granted that a children know, but if you are blind mm -hmm. from birth and nobody's taught you those things, then sometimes it's, you know, we talk a lot about what birds and trees and different mm -hmm. things are around them as well. So it's kind of, it's kind of fun to, to get out of the school sometimes and, and teach those type of skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I remember when you and I first met, I was in middle school, um, was yes. Dave, Davidson. Yes. And I, and I remember we started out in the hallways. We would walk uh -huh. up and down the hall. You know, you tell me to, you know, pay attention to like, the sides of the, the walls, the lockers. Then we would walk to the back in the front of the school. And then of course, as I started getting into high school, we actually started, it's funny enough, the middle school and high school I went to were right by each other. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, they were. Yeah, so, but when we got into high school, you know, that's when we started actually walking outside. That's when right, we right. would go to like the downtown um, Main Street area. And yeah, do we, the, did, we did, we did. do the street crossings and the steps. Um, yeah. So I, I, I remember very fondly those, you know, beginnings and then, of course, branching out to the more, okay, now you're probably wanting to go out and be more independent. Okay, let's start teaching you how to walk like a main street or go to a shopping mall. Right, yes, yes. And then I think we touched on too that you are one of my few students, like I, I don't always um, push the issue of wearing the blindfold because knowing especially students who do have a degenerative condition condition eye condition that could be very traumatic and so i never mm -hmm. want to push oh do you want to wear the blindfold but even for children who aren't going to lose their sight sometimes that's an effective training tool to just say look you need to pay attention to what your hand because you know the message from their fingertips to their brain doesn't always seem to work very well sometimes 
when someone is used to being a visual tra- a visual traveler and they start losing their vision, mm. that cane can fall off a cliff or, or run mm-hmm. into a trash can and they keep moving. And I'm always sort of surprised, like, well, didn't you feel that? And that takes time. So that's mm-hmm. another reason the cane is important. Even if you're not going to lose your sight or even if you mm-hmm. want it to help you, you have to kind of use it a lot for your brain to get the message and use trust your fingertips, trust your eyes and trust your fingertips because sometimes your eyes aren't sufficient to see every little um, ramp or uh, curb. So you were very brave and I think you did wear the blindfold and then that way you were able to tune into just your hearing and just the sense of touch and and hopefully that helped you along the way to go, oh, okay, you know, when I don't, you know, this is helping me be more attuned to those senses. So that yeah. would be, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And I would say that's the reason I did it was because one, I don't know what it's like to be blind from birth. I mm-hmm. know very well what it's like to have perfect vision and then to eventually start losing my vision. And right. for me, I just you know, took on the responsibility of saying, you know, I need to understand what it's like to be blind. So to have none of my vision and to understand the differences, because I think the big problem with me when I was still learning the cane was I was still trying to rely on my sight. So I was still trying to look for the steps, you know, look for the bumps. And I was trying to already judge when I needed to stop or start, you know, slowing down. So I feel like for me, learning to take away my vision completely using the blindfold was very instrumental to me to understanding exactly how to put myself in the shoes of, you know, the actual use of a cane in the proper way and rely on it and learn more how to become in tune with that haptic and spatial feedback. Yes. Yep. That was very, you were ahead of your years because I'm telling you, middle school years are not easy. And to even show up and and be pulled out by what a lot of people call the cane lady, you know, was is I wasn't always that popular with everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, some people loved it. Some of my kids thought it was great because they got out of math class sometimes or whatever, and I would <laughs> take them walking around. And other kids were like, oh, they were just so embarrassed that, you know, they got singled out. And um, that's why mm-hmm. I did take a lot of my students off, at least outside of the school building, so they didn't, you know, their friends didn't you know, they didn't feel ridiculed for using Mm -hmm. a cane, which I didn't understand because to me, most kids think, hey, that's super cool. You know, when you saw kids with crutches or a wheelchair, you were broken, you know, cast. Most kids in elementary school think, hey, that's what a novelty. That's very cool. So, right. um, Anyway, it definitely I I do feel some people don't want to use the cane because they have this preconception that people will then begin to treat them differently. Um, a lot of people feel that if I use the cane, I'm admitting to the world that something is wrong with me. It might not be my vision, but there's something wrong with me because I wouldn't be using the cane if I right. didn't have a problem. And I think people sometimes can worry a lot about what their peers say. So I do think, especially for younger kids, it, it might be very important to say, hey, let's start your training outside of the school. Um, so right. they don't have their peers there judging them um, so that they're right. more comfortable and open-minded to learning the cane because as much as we don't want to use the cane, it honestly opens more doors that it isolates us. So, you know. Well, I, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, on that topic would be, that's one reason I do try to start really young with a child, even if they don't need the cane at five years old or whatever for getting around the school, I have introduced it to, you know, now they're, they're collapsible. They fold up and fit in a book bag. So right. 
a lot of parents have been open to say, hey, here's your cane. It's just another tool. You may not need it every day, but if you're on mm -hmm. a field trip or you, you know, maybe in the future, you're going to use this. And like you said, when children are like nine and, and younger, if they're resilient, they're like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is just something. But once they get into those teen years, it's a little uh, more difficult. But like you're saying, the cane is just another tool. And I wish, I, I think the, the stigma is that most the general public that sees it thinks that person is totally blind. And I think mm -hmm. a vision impaired person doesn't thinks, well, I'm not blind enough for that, or I don't, I don't need that. And they're in sort of a denial, but as you've probably found out when you're using the cane, if you're in a crowded, especially in a crowded urban area in the city, and I always say to my students, which would you rather have happen? Would you want to bump into someone and then think that you're a rude idiot? Or would you want them to turn around and go, oh, they didn't see me. I think I'd rather be mistaken for a blind person than a rude, inconsiderate person. So it kind of explains to the world, oh, you know, when, and then when you go to a store and say, hey, I can't find the potato chips. Well, if you don't have your cane, they're going to point and go over there and mm -hmm. you're going to not know where that is. And so it helps. You don't have to explain your entire medical history to someone. They can look at that cane and go, oh, okay, I need to help him. And then you can help educate them and train them like, no, don't push me. No, I'll hold on to mm -hmm. you. No, I have enough vision to follow behind you. Whatever it is that you need to, um, you know, you just have to advocate for yourself and, ex and explain and, and always teach sighted people how to help you or how to not help you. Like I've said, self-advocacy is very important. Yeah, I mean, I did a, a social so, a sociology course when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had a project where it's like, do a case study. And I did mine where I would just go and walk on my own. So just uh -huh. not take my cane uh -huh. and then just see how people react when I bumped into them or did something. Yeah. And then I would go back, do the same thing, but bring my cane. And, oh, wow. You know, very, you know, different reactions, you know. I bet. I like bet. you said, you, you bump into people without the cane, they're like, dude what are you doing right um, then you do it with the cane you're like oh my god i'm so sorry was i in your way right. it's like, no no it's that's the cane's supposed to bump you it lets me know that i'm you know about to run right. into something so i need to be careful that's a very interesting study. I didn't realize you wrote a paper like that. That's fascinating because that's what I always assumed would happen is that people would be more understanding. Yeah. And especially now, I think there's more awareness of, of um, you know, diversity, whether, uh, you know, racial or, or handicaps. I think people, this generation is very open to differences. And I think it's a great time to just celebrate those differences and not be embarrassed mm -hmm. by them. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, so I did want to touch on a little bit more on the topic of guided sight and maybe even talk a little bit about um, guide dogs, because these are two different um, forms of O&M. Right. Um, and then guided sight, I think people don't understand, is a form of orientation and mobility. Um, right, I think, right. I think people have a misconception that if you're not walking by yourself, you're not orientated or you're not mobile. But oh no, no, it's, it's the exact of, opposite. It's of, yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah. part of orientation and mobility. That's one of the first skills we teach for young children who don't have the coordination to hold a cane um, and move it appropriate in front of them. It ends up, you know, up in the air or whatever. Is that they do learn how to hold on to a an adult's hand or fingers or wrists. And like we're saying, it's, we call it sighted guide. It's where a sighted person guides the visually impaired person. And there is a whole series of techniques for uh, when you go up and down stairs, the sighted person would pause to let the visually impaired person know, oh, there's something coming up, either we're going up or down. And 
when you're holding onto someone's elbow or their, or their hand, it positions you about a step behind them. So you can mm-hmm. feel the movement of their body. And not that way, as when I'm guiding someone who's blind, I don't have to explain every little nuance and, oh, we're going up or down. Like they can feel the movement of my body. We have, it's like a secret code. Like I stop, they know to stop. I, you know, pause and they know, oh, something's coming up. Or if I put my arm behind my back, they know, oh, it's a narrow space. I have to position behind her. When they come to a door, they'll listen and help me either close the door because they're behind me or, you know, um, switch hands so they can help pull the door closed. So it, it is a series of techniques that I teach young children and they are important. It isn't saying you're not independent. It's saying it's just another way to help you. Like a, right. even a high functioning blind adult is not going to navigate Hartsfield Airport with their cane <laughs> and know where every gate is. You know, you have to ask for assistance and mm-hmm. um, getting around. And there's no shame in that. That's one way to get around is using someone who's sighted to help you and, and knowing when to ask for it. And then knowing, you know, knowing you have that choice, knowing if you're comfortable using your cane or your dog to get around. So yeah, sighted guide is, is a series of techniques we teach at a young age and, and um, they're, like I said, there's a place for them. And then there's a time to use your cane. Yeah, absolutely. Even when I use my guide dog, um, I might hold on to my dad or my mom. If I might say in an airport, I don't go too often or I'll have my guide dog follow someone, you know, it's not really me holding on to someone, but I am using another person as a guide. Exactly. So my dog know which way it needs to turn in an area yes. that it has not worked yes. yet. Yeah, sometimes being independent is knowing when to ask for help. And, mm-hmm. and it's not being like, well, even sighted people ask for help. I mean, you could walk around a store and look for it yourself, or you could ask someone or use an app or whatever. I mean, there's tools out there to help you. And there's no shame in making the job easier by asking for help, whether you're blind or you're sighted. That's just life. You're going to, there'll be a time when you're, you know, it's, it makes sense to ask for help. Absolutely. Um, this kind of is a silly question, but um, I've, I recently, you know, I, I worked with another man um, on his podcast, um, The Blind Sanity, and, you know, he's just starting to learn a cane because he's just now lo- losing his vision later in life to RP. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he does not like the cane. Um, he would love to get a guide dog, but of course he has to learn how to know orientation and mobility. And his big question to me was, and I try to answer the best that I could, but he's like, why do I need to know how to use a cane if I'm just going to give up my orientation and ability to use a dog? Well, the reason is because, as you know, the dogs, um, there are times when you don't want to take your dog with you. It may be inconvenient, mm-hmm. um, but it's also you need to learn those techniques. Before A dog isn't going to solve all those problems. As you know, mm-hmm. the dog isn't looking at the traffic light telling when to cross. Mm-hmm. It's you. You need to know when it's safe to cross. You need to know how to interpret traffic movement. You need to know where you're going, left, right, forward. You're just giving him commands. I think a lot of people don't understand that. They think, oh, I get a dog and solve all my problems. They'll take me to Starbucks and know where everything is. Mm -hmm. No, you still have to know where Starbucks is and how to get them there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, learning those uh, techniques with a cane is kind of a prerequisite because then once you're proficient with the cane, then it is a personal choice. Then you can decide. Some people go on to getting a, a guide dog isn't for everyone. You know, it, mm-hmm. as you know, there's the responsibility involved and you have to be an active person. Some people choose to keep a, a cane because it folds up and the advantages it folds up and goes in your backpack and mm-hmm. you don't have to feed it or take it to the vet. So, so there's advantages and disadvantages, but I can tell you the advantage of a dog, like you said, and, and you can speak more and there's more experts on that topic, but I also got to walk 
with a dog once and during my mobility training, I got to go up to the seeing eye and wear a blindfold. And the movement was like magic, like to walk that smoothly down a sidewalk and just, it was, it was amazing. So I can understand, um, instead of scratching around with your cane, you're right. Mm-hmm. The, there are advantages and disadvantages, but I just want to say it's a personal choice, you know, whether you Absolutely. get a dog or whether you choose to have it. If you're going to someone who's working from home, never leaving the house, a dog might not be for you because they are trained animals. If you sit around all day, they're going to turn into your pet and that's not safe. They need to be mm-hmm. walked every day. They need to remember their training, not to chase squirrels, not to sniff things. They have <laughs> their working animals. They have to stay focused. So yes, to answer your friend's question, unfortunately, there really is no way to, um, I mean, he could learn the orientation concept and not use the cane, but he's, right. he still would be an advantage to, to understand, use, to use the cane first and then choose to go to the dog guide school because he's always, there'll be situations he still might need to use that cane. Absolutely. And I too still use my cane. I still have my cane. Um, mm-hmm. The most recent one that's been adjusted for my height because of course, as we get older, we grow taller. Right. Um, right. But I still use my cane because, again, yes. I think guided sight, orientation, mobility with a cane, guide dog, you can still have either or and use all three. So I oh, have a guide dog, but I still mm-hmm. do guided sight with my parents. And then right. there's times that I still use my cane. And I right. think maybe the problem is, is that we try and find a solution that will solve every situation. But the reality is, is that even a guide dog, there are situations where the cane and guided sight could be better and could additionally help you. Like you could still use your guide dog, but then have hold on to someone if you're in a really crowded place and you're worried about getting lost. It's right. everything can be added to the other and made better. And you can have a really smooth experience as you're going out. Right, right. You just have a lot of different tools. But like I said, the most important skill to, for me to teach is that you as the visually impaired traveler are in control of that. You mm-hmm. are the one that can decide, oh, I don't feel safe doing this. I need to ask for some help. And believe me, that has to be taught. I, especially children who are blind from birth or visually impaired from birth, are sometimes are used to being pretty passive. They have people grabbing them, helping them, mm-hmm. pushing them, do this. Oh, this is best for you. And for them to stand their ground and go, hey, no, I don't want to do, I choose to do it this way. To me, that's the most important skill is to have the choice mm-hmm. to, to advocate and say, yeah, today I'm not feeling it. I'm going to just, you know, call an Uber or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. not going to walk to the store and use my cane or whatever. You have the choice to, to have a bad day and to have someone call up someone to help you. Or, yeah. um, or so anyway, but I think knowing you can do it yourself is probably there's probably no more better satisfaction than that to have the skills to do it yourself, but then choosing maybe not to do it yourself. That's mm-hmm. great. You know, you have the choice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so of course this is offered. And by that, I mean, orientation mobility is generally offered through the school system. Um, it's something that is discussed with a TVI, which is a teacher, uh, the visually impaired students. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a curriculum that is worked together and agreed upon by the student. Um, yes. However, there might be cases where, say, I'm a 40-year-old man. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. gone through high school, definitely gone through college, um, never needed a cane, but now I'm starting to lose my vision. I don't have a cane. I've never used one. What do I do? How do I get someone to help me learn orientation and mobility um, as a now blind adult? Um, are there organizations to reach out to? 
Of course, every state has that. And I can't speak for every state, but in the state of Florida, we have the Division of Blind Services, and that would be your go-to place. They have, and I'm sure funding has been cut. I'm not sure what all is available, but it, there's always people available there to, generally, they'll come to your home. They'll teach you mm -hmm. um, daily living skills. If you if you are losing your ability to cook, there are techniques and little tricks to help you still be uh, independent in the kitchen. Um, so they can send someone out to help you learn how to use a cane. You may be elderly enough. A 40-year-old man would still be pretty active, but sometimes it's an 80-year-old, 90-year-old mm. woman who just wants to get to her mailbox. So we would look at, you know, uh, an individual case once again. What are their goals? You know, do they want to mm -hmm. just be independent in their house or do they want to go further and learn how to cross the streets and walk around their neighborhood and maybe learn to use a cane? So definitely... Uh, just Google it, check out your resources. Um, you know, they, they're, every state's going to have a, um, a, sometimes it's Department of Rehabilitation, and they also have funding for equipment a lot of times to help you if you need a magnification, you know, if you can't read your letters anymore or your mail, um, a, you know, closer circuit television to help you see or just a magnifier. So there are resources out there and a squeaky wheel gets the grease. So you just have mm -hmm. to uh, keep making those phone calls and get a, a counselor to help you hook you up with all those resources. But yes, there's definitely those source resources out there. Yeah, you know, and I, and I bring this up because I, I feel sometimes, you know, unfortunately people might think, well, am I too old to learn this stuff? Have I missed out? Like, or is it silly of me to ask someone to help me just know how to go check my mail? Um, you know, I just think unfortunately sometimes um, people feel like there's a finite level or time to them gain access to their daily life skills when it comes to them having low vision. And the reality is, is no, it's kind of timeless and it's ageless, you know, yes, no matter yes. where you are in life or how old you are. Um, you can still benefit from this um, type of education. And if you're willing to learn, there's going to be people there to teach you. Yes. And I think the, also the other resources that would be important is connecting now with social media. There's no reason you can't connect with other people going through what, with what you're going through, because uh -huh. there is a difference. When I work with children who are visually impaired from birth or have their condition from when they're a child, that's just part of who they are. It's not not saying there isn't any grief associated with that, but it is different working with people who are losing something that they had. So that's definitely going to take some, um, you know, counseling, some grief, some um, certainly reaching out to people going through a similar experience would be helpful as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so there is a difference. Everybody's journey is a little different, but there is a difference from, you know, you have the advantage, someone losing their vision has the advantage that they have a visual memory. They know what vision is. They know what mm -hmm. colors are. So there, I'm not saying that's, worse or better i'm just saying it's different when you have had something and then you lose it you definitely want to make sure you're reaching out and getting the help you need for for mental health as well absolutely um which is a great lead into uh to this question that i have and that is you know not everybody is going to be comfortable with learning how to use the cane like you said people who have vision, you know, they do go through a general grieving period because they just feel like, oh my God, I can no longer do this and that, and I won't be able to see this and that. And now I have to learn this. And there, there can be a lot of anxiety. There can also be a lot of grief and resentment. How do you as an orientation and mobility teacher, um, you know, approach that type of student? You know, it has to be very difficult and 
there has to be at least, you know, a good period of time where they might not want to learn from you. Yes. And, and once again, it depends. If someone's really resistant, a lot of times that, you know, I wait till they're a little older and maybe not as resistant, but generally because it's in their IP and they're supposed mm -hmm. to see me once a week or whatever, I can kind of be like, Hey, you are going to use this cane when you're with me. We're doing these techniques. I'm teaching you this because, you know, because as a parent or teacher, that's what you do. Sometimes they don't enjoy learning math. They don't enjoy learning it, but I can still say, Hey, I'm teaching you these things, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean they go back to the school and use that cane on the mm -hmm. school campus. I'm teaching them those things in isolation sometimes, and they can have the personal choice of saying, I'm not ready to use this in public yet or at school. But I do often hear back from students like you, which is what makes my job wonderful is that once they're out of school, and they're in a situation, a college or a post high school situation. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, Miss Hagel was right. This, this is really <laughs> helpful. You know, this is, these things that I learned are helping me now. They may not be helping them in high school and they may not want to learn them, but hopefully I can I kind of teach them those skills and, and see, and have them see it's just a, another tool to help them. It doesn't, they don't have to carry it all the time, but if they're in riding on public transportation, that might be a good time to use their, their cane in a crowded situation. They may not need it on their home block or in their home, but you know they, they have that choice. And I think one thing too we didn't touch on was that we're saying that not everybody with a cane is totally blind. And I think right. that's why some people struggle with that. And then, like we said, the public is confused by that. And I've had students who were accused of faking. Like, mm -hmm. I saw you pick up that menu. Why in your habit, can you must be faking? And, and people actually getting angry about that. I'm like, why would someone want to fake? Like there's just, we still have a lot of education to do to the public to say, look, the cane is just a sign of visual impairment. It doesn't mean they're totally blind. There's all kinds of vision loss. And, um, you know, just be respectful of that. Don't accuse them of, you know, faking a disability. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and it, it is a big problem of the public not understanding the nuances when it comes to the language that we use in the visually impaired community. Uh -huh. And so the problem that I find a lot is people don't understand that vision is on spectrum. Uh -huh. I feel it, it would be better if we could have people understand that vision is a spectrum, a lot like autism when it comes to, you know, um, cognitive and, you know, physical, um, everyone has a different disability when it comes to vision, if they're suffering from a sort of visual disability. So for instance, my big thing is I always have to explain to people that legally blind is blind, but it's different. And they just have a hard time of understanding that it's not just blind because I think so many people, it's blind or nothing. And if you're not blind, then you're faking. And trust me, I have had a case where my mom and I went to a shopping mall. Um, I was using my cane, but someone saw me get out on my own, know where to go, how to get into the mall. And they left a letter on my mom's front windshield saying, you should be ashamed of having your son fake a disability. Just so oh my gosh, oh my mind. gosh. And it's That's a that, lot of ignorance right yes, there. Yes, it's absolute ignorance. It's because they don't understand the differences between vision. And it's because they've gotten so used to the fact that it's either blind or it's nothing at all. Right, right. And as you know, the different types of visual impairment are, are, are it's just there's such a variety I mean some people have just central vision and if you mm -hmm. can imagine you know like uh, what probably you experienced just having central vision like you might be able to pick up a menu and actually see the print in your it's like looking through a paper towel tube you might be mm -hmm. able to see something like that but you might get up and run into the waiter because 
it's they're right there but you didn't see like far away you might see something but close up that it's very it's a very unusual type of um vision loss to explain mm -hmm. to people it's not like you said one size fits all it's um you know other people might see shadows or just colors or some people lose their central vision first and just have they have trouble reading but they still may get around just fine they may be able to see the steps because they just have the the side vision so there's there's all different types and you're right the general public doesn't seem to understand that yet that it's um you know there's not just blind and, and sighted there's a lot of in between yeah and also there's a lot of situations where we might not need the cane like for instance i think people think oh you have a cane so you must use it for everything well right. no i mean if i'm in my house i know mm -hmm. where my house is yes. and i know how to get to my um, get through my house i know how to get to the kitchen i know how to get to my bathroom i right. don't need the cane to do that so i also think there's a misconception of well you're, you have to use that cane for everything, but no, the reality no. is, is no. <laughs> right, right. There's there's situations, and like I said, it's it's up to you um, and, and feeling safe, especially if you're in an environment. A lot of my students are in environments where the school, schools are very mm -hmm. safe. There's very few steps anymore. And so I see them walking around just um, and very smoothly. And, and, and I even question, it's like, well, maybe the cane can sometimes almost be a hindrance because middle school, kids aren't paying attention anyway so it almost <laughs> seems to get in the way more but then when i take that same student somewhere they've never been down like a, a, a brick path or a parking lot and i see how hesitant they are and like you said i can always tell whether they're marching trying to step over things or sliding their feet like little canes like oh they are having trouble seeing in an unfamiliar place that would be a place that a, the cane would definitely come in handy because um you know like you said a familiar place may be perfectly safe to to not use the cane but unfamiliar would be the perfect time to get that cane back out <laughs> right yeah and it's just situational just knowing what you're comfortable with and knowing right. that the environment is going to be safe for you to travel yes. through yes. and also if you have someone that you trust i mean if you're right. going out with a friend you know is going to help you then you might right. just hold on to them right right yep absolutely <laughs> just i think you know definitely I feel a lot of the hesitancy that people have with using the cane honestly comes from the public's misunderstandings. I just think right. we have not exposed them enough to what exactly the cane is, how it is actually used. But I think the biggest problem is that we have not yet completely helped them understand the different levels of visual acuity. Yes, exactly. And I agree. I, yeah, and I guess my question would be, how do we continue to help them understand? Does it start with exposure? Um, does it maybe have them get blindfolded and use a cane themselves? No, do we go that I, extreme? <laughs> I think, you know what, Chad, I think you have the fortunate or unfortunate, whichever one you want to look at, your job is always going to be to educate people. My yeah. job is to educate people. Like I said, I could go to gatherings and they ask me what I do and I could just avoid the topic but I always tell people well look I work with visually impaired people and not everybody's totally blind and I try to do my best now um the media is is starting to get on there like um movies I always have a hard time watching movies about blind people or visually impaired people because they either have two extremes either the person loses their sight and they're totally helpless and <laughs> can't do anything and it's so sad and it's the worst thing can happen to you is losing your sight 
or they lose their sight and they the next day they have a cane or a dog guide and they're walking around the subways <laughs> of New York City, which neither one of those is realistic. Like you said, it's it's not the end of the world. It's just part of who you are. But yet, yes, it's going to take some work and training to get you to the point where you're walking around New York City with a dog guide. It's not going to happen overnight. So I think it's educating um, people on on what's realistic and um you know, what the reality is and not what the TV version that they saw about blind people, <laughs> that that's not the real version. Yeah, absolutely. And trust me, as someone who has used a guide dog in New York City while on vacation, um, it is so hard to do O&M in New York City because no so one far. wants to give you the time to even use your basic understandings of your instructions. Well, yeah, well, and nobody gets out of your way for anybody. Like it is just so crowded. There's just not you know, room for any, no one's paying attention to you and your needs. And so they're just thinking of themselves anyway. So um, it is very hard in a city mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I, I just, I would try and do Andros and, you know, tell them to find the curb and people are just pushing me off the curve. And I'm just like, well, wow. I would, I would definitely visit, but I would never live here. <laughs> wow. Wow. I just yes. think it's, it's, it's a different environment. Different. Yeah. Yes. Well, I guess the last couple of questions that I could have is um, the big one is, you know, using a cane is such a great tool, um, but realistically, is it fair to say everybody is going to benefit from using a cane? Um, I know you as an O&M instructor would love everybody to learn a cane, um, but might there be situations where the cane might not be the end all? Well, I, like I said, there, I try to let my student have that autonomy or that decision. Mm -hmm. I just teach it to them as a tool that you can have because there are situations. And like you said, with different types of visual impairment, some people have trouble at night. They have severe night blindness. Some people have trouble, a certain condition. If they have albinism, they are in daylight. It is like, having a spotlight in your face, they might have trouble in daylight. So depending on your visual impairment, you know, to have that tool to use when you need it, I think is priceless to, to learn how to, to use it and, and to have that choice is priceless too. There are times, like you said, if you're in a familiar place, you won't need it. And that's why they're so nice that they fold up now and fit in your backpack mm -hmm. and you can make that decision. And I do love that um, parents, when they have a positive attitude, I think that is a big influence on a child. When a parent doesn't get all upset and says, okay, yeah, this is something you're going to learn. It's something, um, a tool to help you. And, and they're accepting to that. I think the more the child is ex accepting of that too, as it's just, it's just something, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just something, a tool that can help me, you know, like getting glasses or, or whatever else that might help a child that, you know, needs to learn how to use a certain, you know, tool. Absolutely. And I think this question will be the best way to put a bow on everything. And that is okay. um, when we master the cane, when we learn orientational ability, what are we gaining from this? You know, you know, is it independence um, to do things on our own and to start relying on ourselves more? Is it confidence to know that we can overcome things that people tell us that we can't do on our own? At the end of the day, what do you as an O&M instructor want to give your students as they go on to live their own lives? I think that's it. I mean, you just summed it up right there is the independence and the confidence. And, and those are some of my best moments of, um, I mean, I work with students 
who had even some additional handicaps in a school setting and no one really thought because of their cognitive limitations and some of them had some other physical you know balance issues and they're like oh they would just put them in a wheelchair and push them around the school and when i got a hold of them i was horrified i'd be like oh no you know i would teach them how to use a cane and i remember this one girl in high school she got to uh run notes to the office i would watch her make sure she's safe but um she was so happy because a blind the blind kids are never picked to take the attendance to the office they're never picked to do that special skill and so mm -hmm. just to see her blossom and be the one like i and get to talk to people and feel important and have that sense of um self-confidence is mm -hmm. amazing and i i remember another student who no one expected her we were working in atlanta back before i was lived in florida and and she learned how to to walk across the street and find the wendy's and what the first time she did it um someone stopped her grabbed her arm and pushed her in a door she didn't want to go in and i said no you have to make sure you advocate and say no that's not where i'm going you know and so the second time we did it i could see her um talking to this gentleman and she was in control and she i think he went up and paid for her meal i don't know it was kind of great <laughs> she was she was just to see her succeed at doing something no one expected her to do because she's blind she's helpless and um she wasn't and so i think that's that's amazing and like i said most of the reward doesn't come till after they're out of my students are out of school usually because when you're in high school you are concerned with um your peers and what they think and it isn't until you're about 25 years old that your brain is fully developed and you can kind of take in oh and you might not be as concerned then what people think of you and you've kind of gained that confidence and so yes i think what i i love when my students can graduate and hopefully use something that i taught them hopefully i didn't traumatize them in any way and <laughs> And hopefully they've moved on. And I also know if they are resistant to using the cane, Chad, in school, I'm confident that there are post high school programs that when they're ready, you know, so it's not the end of the world. I'm not going to force somebody to use a cane or to, to look blind if they're not ready for that. There are some great post high school programs, rehabilitation centers they can go to to learn those skills when they're ready to learn those skills. And everybody's on their own journey. And I have to respect that. And um, and I hope that that, you know, I'm here to help when when they need to so i appreciate you asking me to come and talk about it and i like i said love what i do love to talk about it well there you have it everybody from the specialist herself Lori hagel orientation and mobility instructor for over 37 years someone that i credit with my independence and confidence she definitely made me realize there's a a lot more to do than just sit around and feel bad about yourself when it comes to losing your vision um, I want to thank you so much, Ms. Hagel, for speaking yes. with me. It's been amazing well, to catch up with you. Thank you. And thank you for making me your uh, first guest. I feel so honored. <laughs> Absolutely. If I have anyone reach out to me with questions, may I ask you and maybe do a little special episode where I answer some questions about O&M? I would love it. I would love to answer All right. more questions. That's, that's awesome. And the best way for you to contact me is, of course, over on Twitter. I am at two zero two zero zero that's 2200 hindsight that is the twitter page for this podcast if you would like to email me though i am at cm bouton that's c-m-b-o-u-t-o-n at yahoo.com please do not be afraid to send me in any questions and again if it's about orientation and mobility i will ask miss hagel here and i'll get back to you in a special q a episode again want to thank my special guest miss hagel for sitting down and talking to me about everything white tip cane. I've been your host, Chad Bouton. This is Hindsight is 2200, and I'll see you guys next time.